Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us again for another episode of Take 15. Today we're joined by Greg Valliere uh, from Horizon Investments based in Charlotte, North Carolina. But uh, uh, Greg, I know you spend most of your time in the Beltway. Yep. Um, so we're here to talk about uh, politics and how that influences markets. Um, let's just jump right into sure. it um, and talk about the presidency. Um, obviously, we've got a, an election uh, season going on. Where do you, uh, if, if Donald Trump should win the presidency, how do you think the markets might react to that? Well, first and foremost, Ron, the markets don't like surprises. And I think that would be a big surprise, a big source of uncertainty if he were to win. And just as Brexit surprised the markets for at least a couple of weeks, I think a Trump presidency would as well. And then maybe we can get into issues like trade, things like that. But I think a lot of the Trump policies would be a source of concern for a lot of investors. And is the concern that it would take us back to sort of a, a Smoot-Hawley, you know, yeah. the trade protectionism era of the Great Depression? You know, with global economies not doing great to begin with, do we want to get into a trade war with China? Do we want to have a threat of protectionism? It's not exactly comparable to Smoot-Hawley, but at the same time, people will cite that example. So I do think that uncertainty over trade would be a concern for the markets if Trump were to win. Okay, so let's look at the flip side of that. Uh, yep. What if Hillary Clinton wins? What happens then? Probably more of the same. I, I think it's highly unlikely that the House would flip back to the Democrats. It would take a really huge landslide by her. The Senate might flip. But if Congress is divided, I think it would be hard for her to get her agenda enacted. She can still do stuff. I mean, she could still have executive orders that would be very heavily tilted toward regulation. Uh, she could still nominate Supreme Court justices. She could still commit troops overseas. But with a Republican House under Paul Ryan, I think a good deal of her agenda would be thwarted. Okay. Um, and with each candidate, could you maybe walk us through um, how you see uh, different winners and losers in the market, either by sector or by individual names? You bet. I'll start with a contrarian one, Ron. I think that the defense sector would do fairly well under Hillary Clinton. I think she's pretty hawkish. I think she'd be aggressive on foreign policy. I think, sadly, because of her gender, she might be tested right away. So I think the defense stocks would do pretty well. The drug stocks might not do pretty well. She's been quite outspoken about wanting to curb drug pricing. I think the big energy companies, big coal, big oil, would do much better under Trump. I think she would like to curb those industries, maybe spend more money on alternative sources of energy. Uh, the banks are an interesting story. Uh, Trump just recently has said he wants to reinstate Glass-Steagall, and the Democrats are hostile as well. So I think almost under any scenario, there's going to at least be headline risk for banks. And are there any uh, prospects for tax reform in, say, 2017? Well, bingo, you really hit on the key issue. I think the stars are in alignment in 2017 for tax reform. I think Trump would want a deal. He'd need one. Hillary would want a deal. Paul Ryan, who's probably going to run for president in 2020, would love a tax deal. 
And I think Chuck Schumer, who will take over from Harry Reid, would like a deal as well. So I think tax reform will be on the front burner. The main thing to watch for, for investors, is repatriation, which would take all of these billions and billions of dollars stashed overseas by U.S. companies, mostly drug and tech companies, and have them get those revenues back in the U.S. at a tax rate of 7 or 8%. A great story for those companies and a great story for infrastructure. A lot of that money, I think, would go to infrastructure, so companies like Caterpillar, for example, could do quite well. So, mostly focused on the corporate side? Yeah, in a, the idea of individual tax reform is very seductive. I understand all the arguments for it. That's, that's a lot to bite into. I think an awful lot of people ask the question, if we lower top rates, what do you kill? Do you kill the home mortgage deduction? Do you kill the state and local exemption, charitable contributions? So we still have to have a debate as a country over just what tax breaks would be killed in order to lower the overall rate. Um, so let's turn our attention now to the Federal Reserve. Sure. Um, do you see them uh, on the sidelines for the rest of the year, or do you see them uh, taking action sooner than that? I'm in the camp that says the economy is picking up. It's not gangbusters, but we're seeing growth improve. I think largely because real disposable income looks so good. We've got low gasoline prices, higher stock prices. We've got people refinancing mortgages. The savings rate has come down. So I think real disposable income alone will keep the economy growing at two and a half, maybe even three percent. So with that environment and with the labor market tightening in many parts of the country, I think we get one move from the Fed most likely in December. But I'm not in the camp that says Janet Yellen is not going to move. I think the labor market is really starting to get tight. And so do you think that's sort of the key variable that uh, Yellen's focused on, the labor market, or are there other variables? Well, there are a lot. I mean, the Fed's very eclectic, as you know, Ron, but I, I'd say there are several things she'll look at. Uh, the threat of global instability, we certainly got a shock from Brexit. You know, will there be shocks <coughs> regarding Chinese economic growth, things like that? Will there be, sadly, more terrorism? So there are things she has to worry about, but I think that if the economy gets on a glide path of 2.5%, maybe a little bit better, she throws in one move at the end of the year. Okay, so that's, that's more or less an optimistic scenario. Yep. What happens if things don't work out so well? Does the Fed have an, any more uh, arrows in the quiver? What, what can they do? That's a really great question, and it's a troubling question, because if the economy were to suddenly weaken, I don't see it, but if it does, then I think the Fed has to look at you know, really extreme measures. Would they look at uh, negative rates? I doubt it. In fact, she's testified in congressional hearings. She's not sure they have the authority to do it. Would they look at QE4? I don't think so. I think their balance sheet is too high already, and I think they know that. So there's going to be a real focus, in my opinion, on fiscal policy, which has been sort of the missing ingredient for the last several years. And I think there'll be a growing call, if the U.S. economy were to weaken, for tax cuts. And I think there's a decent chance we could get them in 2017. And how does that uh, play into the budget, the fiscal deficit and whatnot? Well, you know, it would raise the deficit in the short run, but I would argue that the bond market, looking at rates as we record this of about 1.6 on the Treasury 10-year bond, they got other things to worry about. I don't think the deficit right now is a big concern for the bond market. Maybe at the end of this decade, uh, has entitlement costs grow? It could be a problem. But I think in the next year or two, we could stimulate fiscally without the bond market worrying. So, 
what will the bond market worry about? Will they start focusing their attention on you know Puerto Rico, Chicago? You know, there's a number of yeah. regions around the country that are struggling right now. Yeah, there's a lot to worry about, isn't there? I mean, you've got down the road higher deficits. You've got, I think, maybe inflation percolating a bit as we go into next year with wages picking up, with labor markets tightening. But I think for now, the big story for the bond market is still this safe haven that investors around the world want to sleep at night. And even though yields are ridiculously low, or in Europe even negative, I think that safe haven impact is still the dominant story in the fixed income markets. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's a wrap for today. But uh, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for joining us. And be sure to follow all of our content at uh, Enterprising Investor as well as CFAinstitute.org. Thank you. Copyright 2016 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.